Another pot of coffee is brewing. My third cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray. Self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and most importantly, caffeine fiend. Tuesday. So after the wonder of losing my voice, which led to my being a few days behind last week, I am now sort of back on track. In this week's episode, I'm going to do a not-so-mini film review and a brief update on my mental health since last week's overly emotional outpouring. But first, it's time for yet another instalment of My Dreams Are Fucking Weird. This week, my dream was actually sort of pleasant, though it did feed quite carefully on some of my insecurities. That said, it was definitely a little on the unusual side. I was a competitor on some sort of cooking show, a cross between Australian MasterChef, which I have a massive addiction to, and the Great British Bake Off. Just a little bit of a twist. Anyway, I am cooking to get into the finals and there are a table of five judges sitting over in a dining room quite a distance away waiting for my final course. One of the judges is of course someone I recognise in that it's my mum but the others I can't actually see. I'm panicking which is to be fair pretty usual for me. I am making a dessert using Lindor balls and if anybody doesn't know what they are they are a shell of chocolate filled with a creamy chocolate ganache. I'm using my teeth, which is pretty gross to be fair, to break the the Lindor in half and then I'm scooping out the ganache with a spoon and eating the shell because why wouldn't I? I like them. For some reason I'm actually making these desserts which I think, and here I'm saying definitely I think, I don't know, a sort of chocolate melt in the middle pudding type thing but I'm making them one at a time making the batter for each person's dish separately. It's when I'm on the last one that I discover I've run out of the key ingredient. It turns out that I started with an entire box of Lindor at the beginning of the dream. Okay, I love them and the salted caramel ones are my ultimate favourite, but I now have none left. Knowing me, I've probably been unwrapping them and popping them in my mouth like grapes unconsciously. I'm not a nervous eater, I really am not a nervous eater, but if food is in front of me, I will unconsciously eat it. And that goes for me in, clearly in dream world, because it's definitely me in the real one. So, we've established I am (laughs) making these desserts, and I've run out of the Lindor. If you heard me going through my diary in last week's episode, you'll know that one of the main criticisms I have always heard from my mum is that I don't finish anything. Well, that and my ability to gain weight. She's always believed that I never finish a thing, despite having supported myself through university twice and doing multiple courses at evening school, all of which I have finished completely. Anyway, less of the teen and adult angst here, back to the dream. (laughs) So, no dessert for mum and no main ingredient left to prepare it. I am obviously panicking, growing angrier and more frustrated with myself by the minute. I don't want to prove my mum right. I don't want to be more of a failure and I'm feeling sick at this point. So I start to study the ingredients that I've got left on my counter and even though every single dessert is meant to be 100% identical and I know that there is no way I'm going to get to the final now because I can't put up five identical and perfect desserts my pride will not let me stop preparing something. So here I go, I've got absolutely no idea what I'm going to do with the ingredients I've got left and even when the dream comes to an end I still have no idea exactly what I ended up making. All I know is I can remember the feel of slippery and sticky egg whites sliding through my fingers and bright yellow orange egg yolks being made into a custard. So here I am completely guessing, but it's probably some kind of souffle or something. Something I can't eat because I'm allergic to eggs anyway. 
I can hear the tick, tick, tick of the clock as it counts down the last few minutes of my time and my anxiety builds. Did I mention that I'm one of those really lucky people who gets anxiety attacks in their sleep? Anyway, I desperately need to get something on the table in front of my mum so I don't prove her right. And just as the buzzer sounds, seriously, it was like something from an ice hockey game. You know, that really loud, ear-piercing bzzz sound? Probably nothing like that, but you get my meaning. I run across the hall, slide a boiling hot ramekin onto the table in front of my mum, and then I escape as quickly as I can. Being honest, the dream didn't have a proper ending. It wasn't like the ones I've had previously where I was startled awake by the alarm just as something was about to happen. It was a dream that didn't have an ending. It blended into something that I don't remember. In a way, I think I'm relieved about that. Oh, and I have to say, as an absolute bonus, I woke up the next morning with a bruise on my forehead. I think I must have punched myself in my sleep, and I'm being completely serious. I have actually got a bruise on my forehead, and it hurts quite a lot. Okay, now we've got the weirdness of my dream out of the way, we're going to move on to the movie review. And this week, we're actually going to be looking at a film that was part of the poll a couple of weeks ago. It was just pipped at the post by Dadnapped. So yes, we are going to be looking at, or rather, I am going to be looking at Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. Released in January 1999, this was the first in Disney's Xenon trilogy and the first DCOM trilogy produced. In fact, to this day, it remains the only Disney Channel original trilogy that cannot be classed as a musical, even though it has got some musical performances in it. It's 2049 and Xenon Carr, who is played by Kirsten Storms, who has since gone on to star in... General Hospital and she was also the original Bonnie Rockwaller in Kim Possible lives on a space station with her scientist parents and her view of Earth is that it's down there. She's always late for breakfast and to be fair pretty much everything and though many think of her as charming others including the rather unusual Commander Plank, who is in charge of the space station, think of her as something of a nuisance who should be disciplined by her parents. And here I'm going to say I actually agree with him. She gets around the space station using vents and tunnels as shortcuts when she can't get to where she needs to be. She's charmed the people in the kitchen so that when she's late for breakfast, it doesn't matter because someone will give her food. And she causes disruption uncaring that some of the things she does could be considered pretty dangerous but of course as I've said already this makes her charming. Xenon was just five something that we actually find out later when she left earth to live on the space station as her mum had started to believe that the planet was too dangerous after she was mugged apparently and being in space was that much safer. That being the case, Xenon has a very distorted view of Earth, considering it backwards, and any memories that she has have been influenced by not only her parents, but also her belief that the space station is just that much better than everywhere else. She spends a lot of time with her friends, including her best friend Nebula, played by the very popular Disney alum Raven, who has herself had several DCOM lead roles, as well as being the main character in two Disney Channel series and guest starred in many others. While in class she's disrespectful and completely ignores the teacher. In fact she's so rude she starts listening to the radio the minute she arrives despite being late and the teacher demanding her attention. The thing that astounds me the most though is the fact that she not only gets away with it by lying but she smiles and everybody just forgets that she is not the best behaved person in the class. I really don't know if I'd have ever got away with this at school. In fact, I was trying to think of it as I was watching the film. Would Mrs. Miller, even though I was apparently one of her favourite students, ever 
have let me get away with smiling and lying at her. And I, I don't think she would have done. She was quite a strict disciplinarian. Anyway, the reason for this disruption in her history class where they are talking about President Chelsea Clinton and how her time in office has been much better than her father's was is because she has just heard that her favourite band, Microbe, are going to be performing on the space station. They are going to be the first band to ever perform in space. After class, super excited, she shares the news with her friends and they squeal as teenage girls are wont to do. And having been to a few concerts as a teenager, I can attest that this is the case. It's the sort of scream that makes every adult wish that they had earplugs. The lead singer of the band is a character called Protozoa and Xenon has a huge crush on him. To make the fact that Microbe are going to be performing on the space station even better, it's also been announced that there's going to be a competition and the winner will get the chance to dance on stage with Protozoa during this performance. Of course, Xenon and her friends are determined that they are going to enter it and everybody, including Xenon herself, says, oh, well, I'm going to, she's going to win. Xenon is going to win because she wins everything. A month before the competition, however, the owner of the company that funds the space station, a man called Parker Wyndham, makes a visit under the guise of checking that everything is running smoothly. Several times during the start of the film, people have make make comments about how things need to be repaired or replaced, that things are getting a little bit run down, they need more money... And they, so they are desperate to convince Mr. Wyndham that the station is worth spending money on, it's worth investing in, because the research they are doing is valuable, it's life-saving. During dinner that evening in the large canteen where everybody eats, Commander Plank stands up, starts to tell everybody first about the competition and then that they need to make him proud, that they need to convince Wyndham they are worth investing in. And he also announces that no one can let them down. They all need to behave. At this point, he is staring directly at Xenon because she is a known troublemaker and needs to be controlled or at least needs to be made aware that her behaviour will have a detrimental effect on everybody else on the space station. It's quite sad, really. Her parents appear to have absolutely no influence over her behaviour. They find a lot of her adventures more endearing and amusing than a cause for concern. And rather than telling her that she needs to behave, they try to negotiate with her. Seriously, this is where they go wrong. She's 13 years old. She can't be reasoned with because she never believes she's doing anything wrong and she just doesn't listen despite being of the firm belief that earth is horrible dirty and crime ridden wow such wonderful life lessons her parents have been teaching her even the threat that there is a possibility the space station could be decommissioned and everyone would have to return to Earth isn't enough of a reason for Xenon to actually behave because literally mere hours after she's been told she needs to pull together with everyone so they don't lose their livelihoods and their homes she's breaking the rules and putting all of her friends in danger by taking an unsanctioned spacewalk to see a solar flare However, even this isn't enough to get her properly punished by her parents. Her mum goes into a, a sort of minor stress meltdown and puts on a stress helmet. I think that most of us could do with one of these if they're what I think they are. And her dad spends loads of time after her mum's gone into another room for peace, gushing over the beautiful colours that the solar flare turned and wasn't it a wonderful thing to watch? Not exactly the best example. Xenon reminds me a little bit of Marnie from Halloween Town. She's the same age, 13, and both girls seem to think that 13 is almost an adult and therefore she's old enough to look after herself oh god she's I know that most 13 year olds I know I was at 13 naive enough to think that I knew everything I really didn't in fact 
I still don't. So Wyndham arrives on the space station and he's being shown around by Xenon's parents. He's accompanied by uh, an assistant who seems to like very, very bright colours called Mr. Lutz. And if, you, if you've seen this film recently or you've watched it and you've sat there going, I know that man's face. It's because you've likely seen Wyndham, who is played by Frederick Coffin, in shows like Remington Steel or Murder, She Wrote. And he also played a role in Wayne's World. So you might recognise him from that. Everyone is talking about Wyndham. Apparently he is able to carry conversations about things that many wouldn't understand unless they were experts in the fields. However, Xenon has a creepy feeling about him, which she shares with her friends. Nebula, being sensible for what is probably the first time ever, tells Xenon that whenever she gets this type of feeling, it always ends up with them getting in trouble. And she's not wrong. Prior to Wyndham's arrival on the space station, Xenon was told by her parents and several others in positions of authority on the station that there were certain things she really shouldn't do while anyone was on board. And one of those things was actually dumpster diving. Of course, being Xenon, she completely ignores this. And the first night that Lutz and Wyndham are on board, she goes dumpster diving to find something to use for her entry in the microbe and protozoa competition. Of course, conveniently, as she's climbing out of the dumpster, she sees Mr. Lutz lurking around outside the main memory bank of the space station. Caught, because she falls out of the swing door to the recycle bin, she pretends that she's helpless in order to get Lutz to take her back to the residential floor, as it's dark and she's scared to go go alone, despite the fact that she got down there on her own, and this is definitely and most clearly not the first time she's done it. She tells her parents that she's seen Lutz acting rather suspiciously but they think that she's being something of a drama queen. Of course now that no one believes her she has to prove her point so over the next few nights though this is all done off camera she follows Lutz around to try and find some evidence though initially she finds absolutely nothing. It wouldn't be a film with payoff if the lead didn't win the competition. And of course, when Protozoa announces who has won the chance to appear with him and his bad band Microbe on stage at the space station, Xenon is overjoyed that she won. But she does make a point of saying she's sad that her friend Nebula didn't win with her essay about why dancing on stage would mean so much to her. But when she actually says this I'm not 100% convinced that she actually means it because why would you want somebody else to win though I suppose the way that she says it could almost be oh well if it weren't me then I'd I'd want it to be you even so why would you want someone else to win if you really wanted to win despite winning the competition and literally having only just had a conversation with her mother about her behavior Xenon continues to follow Lutz around the space station sure that he is up to something that is going to be detrimental to everyone that lives there she manages to find a hiding space courtesy of one of her friends getting access codes and witnesses him putting something in the memory bank computer, entering some code, removing this tiny little coin-like disk, and then leaving with a very smug and satisfied smile on his face. After he leaves, Xenon exits her hiding place, and then discovers that the code she had on her hand, which would help her to leave without being caught, has smudged to the point that it's unreadable. She tries to enter a code and alarms start going off, and of course, she's caught. No one believes her when she says that Lutz was doing something in the memory bank. She was the one that was caught there, he was nowhere near it, and she is punished. She is grounded and for her, this grounding does not mean stuck in her room without any technology and no chance to see her friends. It actually means being sent to Earth to live with her mother's sister, Judy. Believe it or not, it's taken almost 30 minutes to get to this point in the film 
and it runs for 112 minutes total. That having been said, takes mere minutes in the film to organise Xenon's trip back down to Earth. And the news spreads very quickly around the station. Her friends can't believe that the cars are going to punish Xenon the way they are. And Nebula, having found something shiny and holographic on the floor near to the memory banks, has made it into a gift to give Xenon to remember them by. Given everything that Xenon believes about Earth, being sent there as a punishment is the absolute worst thing as far as she's concerned. And even worse, she's being taken down to Earth on Wyndham's ship with him and Lutz. This is a long review and I hadn't actually realised it until I got to this point. So I'm going to take a break right now so you can find out about another brilliant podcast, Bad Dad's Film Review. Okay, who is actually doing the intro this week? It's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Pulp classic isn't it real elation and joy in it really it's an ensemble piece welcome to bad dad's film review this is a hit is it is it it? yeah really big fan base niche amongst film geeks it's a comedy it's peppered with swear words they say fuck all the time this is bullshit what are we talking about today? Really great interview. And it is amazing. With Adam yep. Pearson, James Ward Burkett, talking about his movie Coherence. I wanted to make a movie at all costs, or actually the opposite, at no cost. It's yeah. an absolute game changer. It really yeah. is. It's brilliant. I've got something that I know you are going to be very excited about. Oh, wow. <gasps> huge a lot of my friends won't have seen this film thrilled to have you here adam no it's a pleasure to be here guys i didn't know scarlet Johansson was going to be it until really late in the game i just think it's fantastic all right let's launch into this week's top five okay uh i'll do the intro then you ready guys i feel like i could blow you out the water sounds but... good <laughs> <laughs> is it me well your intro game is strong he's completely wooden saying his lines with no feeling to feel good absolute hit yeah which is your favourite feel good bit the bit where he gets sodomised move along quickly before lawsuits kick in welcome to a podcast uh, about dads reviewing movies that we missed while we were raising kids and the often awful children's TV that we now have to sit through and I thought it was really good did you? because that's not what you told me before my opinion is that it is bad <laughs> there's lots of things going on at once my mum said they were stupid <laughs> Now, what value? None. I haven't done an impression yet. Money, Penny. We're here again. <laughs> Always impressed by how they made such big ideas out of tiny, tiny budgets. Sign me up for every single one. I'm not listening to this horse shit. I got a job to do. That's my Dwayne Johnson. That was just your own voice. That was clearly your own voice. I'll give it a chance. Yeah. I don't have a closed mind. And with that, welcome to Bad Dad's Film Review. Well, now you've heard all about that, head over there after you've finished listening to this. Seriously, they're good, but so is this. Xenon's arrival on Earth is predictably dreadful. She's not used to gravity, and the moment she arrives on the planet, she sneezes. Something that she has never done, in her memory at least. I'm sure that when she was a child, before she moved to the space station, she had plenty of snotty colds. I mean, how many children do you know that don't have them? Apparently, on the space station, not only is it a marvel, where everything is natural and clean, it's also devoid of all germs, so no one ever gets sick. So sneezing is horrifying. Before she leaves to meet her mum's sister, Aunt Judy, Xenon confronts Wyndham and Lutz and tells them that she's not fooled by either of them. She then pushes her hair back behind her ears, revealing the earring that Nebula made her, but she has no idea that that it has any significance to anyone but her. As far as she's concerned, it was a gift from a friend. Predictably, though, Lutz absolutely freaks out. The thought that whatever it was he had in his hands at the space station is now in possession of someone who is already suspicious of them both could undo all of their carefully prepared plans. Though, at this point in time, we have no idea what they are. To be fair, we could probably guess. At this point, my brain, having not seen the film for quite a while, I was thinking, oh, maybe they are 
um, actually funneling loads of funds out or they are going to set someone up to say they've embezzled loads of money because everybody knows that the space station needed it. I had no idea. I just thought it was going to be something setting somebody up. Judy, on arriving to pick Xenon up, is awkward. And of course, Xenon being resentful is less than friendly. She's still incredibly angry with her parents and frustrated that she's been sent to a place she never wanted to visit. So of course, she's taking out on the one person who had A, nothing to do with her punishment and B, has just been stuck with the consequences. Not the best cook, Judy admits it quite openly and wanting Xenon to get to know the area where she's going to be staying for however long in fact the length the duration of her punishment is never made incredibly clear she takes her to a beachfront restaurant where xenon is the a viewing amusement of a group of kids another table we'll later meet them at the school and they include a very young gregory smith yep the kid from everwood who grew up to star in rock in rookie blue Xenon and Greg's eyes meet and then Margie, one of the other kids at the table, comes over to tell Xenon that there is a bet going on to find out where she's from. It seems bullying is alive and well on earth. Xenon isn't used to being a target as she's the top of the food chain on the space station. So being mocked is not welcome and she fights back when Margie mocks her by stating that... Yes, she's in a Halloween costume, but it won't be complete until she has the mask that Margie is wearing on her face. So Xenon gives as good as she gets. However, she doesn't like being mocked at all. And as soon as Judy arrives back at the table, she demands to leave because she's not interested in eating anything. She just wants to get away from all these people. When she gets back to Judy's house, she tries to call her friends and it's at that point she discovers that her parents have not only sent her away from her home, they've also blocked her from communicating with anyone but them on the space station. It's yet another layer to the punishment that they've given her. And to be fair, I don't think it's unwarranted. She caused trouble. She persuaded other people to break the rules And by not being there, she can no longer be a bad influence on anyone else. Xenon's first day at school is not exactly the most pleasant. Margie is incredibly happy to show even more of her rather unpleasant true colours, though it does seem that they are actually driven by jealousy. She's not blind or oblivious and she did notice the way that Greg was staring at Xenon the previous day and also the way he's staring at her when she arrives in the classroom. And as far as Margie is concerned, Greg is hers, though as far as Greg is concerned, that is not the case at all. Unfortunately, Xenon doesn't do herself any favours, even when she isn't sure of what she's doing. She doesn't like to admit ignorance, so she boasts that she can definitely swim when they're standing by a swimming pool. She soon proved incredibly wrong in a way that could be rather dangerous. Margie walks behind her, pushes her into the pool, and then Xenon discovers that swimming in water is not at all the same as swimming in space, which isn't really swimming because there's no water. Greg dives in to save her when it doesn't appear that she's going to be coming to the surface at any point soon. But instead of being grateful for him saving her life, she storms off having told him that she was fine and she just needed a bit more time to prove that she could do it. Greg has tried to befriend her on several occasions, but Xenon isn't interested. She's still feeling angry and resentful and wants nothing but to head back to her friends on the space station. After their first day at school, of course, things are are still not going great. Judy and Xenon arrive back at the house and discover that someone has broken in and everything has been tossed. Nothing has been taken, but the house has been wrecked. Apparently, whoever it was didn't find what what they wanted or what they were searching for. But then Xenon is, of course, wearing the earring. Xenon is still positive that 
it's Lutz and Wyndham at the centre of everything, but none of the adults she tries to talk to will listen. She's cried wolf so many times at this point that nobody is going to believe her unless she can present them with physical evidence. And she can't do that because she hasn't got any. At school the next day, she tries to find out more about Wyndham and Lutz by hacking Windcom servers. Unfortunately, she is unable to do it. She doesn't have the skill. So there is something that she's not good at. And she is sitting there when she spies Greg's fingers flying over the keyboard of his own computer. So she heads over to speak to him and ask him for help. However, he's about to leave and he is, to be fair, a little fed up with trying to offer Xenon the hand of friendship when she is only too eager to just bite it off instead of accept it. Her obvious dislike of Earth and her belief that everything there is so inferior is is also quite off-putting. Greg is also incredibly busy. He's about to go to work for the day. He he actually grooms horses at a local stable. He invites her along and initially she says no. But then she changes her mind and they end up spending the afternoon together. I have to say that at this point I feel really sorry for her aunt. She's spent all this time trying to help xenon acclimatize and it takes just half a day with greg for her to realize that earth isn't as bad as she always thought it would be she's eating with him and eating a lot at the same place where judy first took her and she initially met greg and margie and their friend andrew when she spies lutz so she tells Greg that they have to leave. He asks for the bill and I think she's not a cheap date and they head off to follow him. Of course they don't manage to catch up with him but they know that he was there. It's at some point not long after this that we discover Greg is actually a computer genius which if the fingers flying over the keyboards earlier hadn't established, we now establish when he hacks into the Wyndham computers without, in his own words, breaking a sweat. It's thanks to him that they discover Windcorp is in financial trouble and Lutz was after the disc that Xenon is wearing in her ear. Greg even puts two and two together about what made Lutz so jumpy and determined to chase after her and break into Judy's house. Realising that the disc is the key, Greg gets the help of one of his friends, Andrew, and they spend hours attempting to break into the disc. When it finally destroys Andrew's laptop, they figure out what they have and break the news to Xenon that Lutz was uploading a nanovirus that will crash and destroy a computer. And it's now on the space station. Of course, the space station computers are a lot bigger and more powerful than Andrew's laptop but she is told that it will eventually destroy the computers it just will take time and the systems will break down one by one. Andrew has somehow of course managed to build an antivirus and Xenon realizes that the only way she is going to be able to plant it on the space station and fix everything is to actually get back up there and on board before the space station comes crashing down to Earth and kills everyone. And that's actually, for me, <laughs> the first thing I thought was, wow, that's actually pretty dark for a Disney Channel movie, especially one in the 90s where it was previously so lighthearted and they were pranking and playing relatively harmless tricks and misbehaving and now all of a sudden it's oh we're going to bring a space station with thousands of people on board crashing to earth and kill everybody fantastic isn't that nice she contacts her parents and they tell her that everything is fine even though there are multiple system failures occurring And despite the evidence that they can see whenever they head somewhere on the space station that is breaking down or just catching fire, they still don't believe her when she tells them that Lutz and Wyndham are to blame. But then she has lied so much, why would anybody believe her anyway? After the conversation with her parents, Lutz shows up and she bargains with him 
telling him that she'll give him back the disc, which is now pretty much worthless, in exchange for a ride back to the space station on the shuttle. Greg, who is clearly the only one thinking logically, tells Xenon to get the agreement in writing and not hand the disc over until she's back on the space station. But she hands it over. Of course, there has to be a catch with this, and it is that she has painted a load of holographic nail varnish on multiple discs, so she hasn't given him the right one. Lutz, of course, doesn't discover this until he takes it back to his office, and when he loads the disc up, it's just showing a gif of her sticking her tongue out at him. He is not amused because now he's got to go back to Wyndham and report that not only has he lost the virus, but Xenon has it. She knows that they're responsible and to a point he has actually admitted that he is guilty of planting it. Andrew somehow unblocks Xenon's comm all the while that Lutz and Wyndham are discussing things and she gets the chance to speak with Nebula who tells her the truth about everything going on and going wrong on the space station and Xenon shares that she's right about the virus and that they have a fix but she needs to get back to the space station to do it so she asks for Nebula's help to find out when the next shuttle is actually departing for the space station she can creep on board and do everything she needs to do once she gets there. Realising that she's running out of time, Xenon, knowing that she has to head back to the space station, leaves a message for her Aunt Judy and then heads to the nearest departure point to get the cargo ship. Cute, awkward kiss as Greg and Xenon are waiting to hear from Nebula. Oh, (laughs) I failed to mention that every single autonomous vehicle in this future is a newer model VW Beetle. And I mean every single one. Greg's parents drive one, Aunt Judy drives one. You don't see many other cars. It's almost as though they thought that the slightly smoother lines of the newer model Beetle were incredibly futuristic. I'm not sure if I'd say that, especially as they no longer make them. Some point on the journey, Margie has decided to join them as she desperately wants to keep Xenon away from Greg. However, they arrive at the departure point just in time to see the cargo shuttle taking off. They've missed it. And Xenon's at a complete loss as to what she should do next. Andrew suggests that they go to the cops, but then Xenon tells him that they'll never believe her so she just needs to find another way to get to the space station. You just know it's 100% unintentional however Margie then mentions microbe which gives Xenon an idea. It is completely unintentional because why would someone like Margie who absolutely is obvious in her dislike of Xenon help her in any way whatsoever? She mentions microbe She's not being the nicest and she's actually goading Xenon with the fact that she may have won the competition to dance with Protozoa, but there is no way on earth she is going to be able to collect on the prize as she's down on earth and Microbe is heading to space. But that's it. Xenon can catch a lift with Microbe. They're going where she needs to be and all she needs to do is persuade them that A, she is the winner of the competition and B, she needs to get back to the space station. Somehow, Xenon manages to get backstage at a press conference where Protozoa and Microbe are performing before they head to the space station for the first ever performance in space. Protozoa is incredibly easy to convince that Xenon was the winner of the prize, also that she is who she says she is. And before too long, he actually says, right, go to the shuttle, we'll be leaving soon. I have to say that I found the next bit funny. Aunt Judy is frantic. She found Xenon's message and she knows that her niece is trying to get back to the space station where she's not supposed to be going. So Judy heads to the press conference, barges her way through the security, which I have to say is pretty feeble for something that should be much better, and then confronts Wyndham and Lutz. 
Aunt Judy has Hermione's eyebrows. You could likely get just a little bit merry taking a shot every time Judy's eyebrows move during the scene where she's confronting Wyndham and Lutz. Realising that Xenon must already be on the shuttle, all three adults rush to board before it takes off in the hope that they can actually get her off the shuttle so A, she can't fix what Lutz and Wyndham have broken and B, she isn't breaching the the punishment that her parents have given her. They're too late. The trio have boarded with no intention of heading to the space station, especially poor Aunt Judy who is absolutely petrified of the concept of space travel and has never for that reason done it, and the shuttle takes off with them as unwanted passengers. They're all headed to the space station where all systems have started to fail one after the other. The moment Xenon gets off the shuttle, she is confronted by a rather furious Commander Plank, who we actually learn at that point is called Edward. Wyndham tells Plank that Xenon is actually the one responsible for all the trouble they're experiencing on the space station. At the same time, Xenon is trying to convince him that Wyndham and Lutz are the ones responsible, that if the space station crashes, he will collect a lot of money thanks to an insurance payout. Of course, Plank is not going to believe Xenon. He knows her far too well. Her bad behaviour is far too memorable and Wyndham is an adult and his employer. Xenon and Judy are both escorted to Plank's office. The door is locked and Xenon discovers at that point she is unable to reach the memory banks to resolve the issues. Desperate, she she tries to communicate with her friends on the space station, meaning Nebula, and discovers that while her comms unit has been unlocked, she is now no longer able to communicate with anybody on the space station when she's on it, which is daft. So she contacts Andrew and Greg and asks them both to call Nebula to get help to get out of Plank's office before time runs out. Of course, both Lutz and Wyndham are running around like headless chickens, desperate to escape the space station before the worst actually happens. They demand that the pilot of the shuttle they just arrived on refuels quickly and returns them to Earth. But these things take time and it's about safety, though they know when others don't, they are nowhere near safe on the station. Of course, as the unknown countdown continues, things continue to go incredibly wrong with more systems failing and more shutdowns occurring. At the very last minute though, it's Xenon to the rescue. Just at the point where the systems are starting to reach complete failure. Xenon arrives with the antivirus, having been freed from Plank's office by an incredibly enterprising and very, very helpful nebula. There has to be a bit of tension because if there weren't, there wouldn't be any point in a countdown. So Xenon actually struggles to get the password right to get the the antivirus to activate. However, just as the countdown reaches one, she is able to set everything to rights. The space station reboots, systems are resumed and Xenon, the troublemaker, has saved the day. Of course, at the end of the film, she gets her dedication to Greg and she gives Nebula her prize of dancing on stage with with microbes and protozoa because she knows that she is going to be travelling back to Earth with them. I am still unclear as to why if she saved the space station, she's going to go back to Earth because, oh, I don't know. I honestly don't. There are two more films in the series which are more of the same, more Xenon behaving, or rather not behaving, sneaking away, stealing spaceships, and then being proved to be in the right. They are Xenon the Zequel and Z3. Sorry I'm English, I will say Z, not Z. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem as though she has actually learned much in the way of anything when it comes to her behaviour, which I think is a bit of a shame because in the last film, she's actually 18. So theoretically, she is an adult. Xenon has so much potential as a character and she has 
the possibility and the opportunity to be a really good role model but she just can't seem to control her behavior even when she is nearly an adult she's still driven by that need to be right which would be fine if she didn't break all the rules in order to prove her point the problem for me is i have to say i found the constant use of Zetus Lapetus and micro and macro really annoying. I don't know if it's because I'm English, because I'm as I'm sure that there were terms that people used when I was a teenager, I just didn't happen to to take part in. But Zetus Lapetus, she says it so many times. And I read it in an article, somebody actually said, I watched this as a child and I loved it. And I used Zetus Lapetus constantly. But as an adult watching this, I find it really frustrating. Of course, the fact that her behaviour is rarely properly punished is another thing that I found frustrating. It's like the film is saying bad behaviour and ignoring the rules will be rewarded. Because of course, not only did she win the competition, she still got to accept her prize even after she had disobeyed her parents, she had caused damage, she had risked lives by, well, doing the solar flare walk, for example, all of these little things. But at the end of it, she did save the day, she saved all these people's lives. So she's the hero, despite the other things that she's done. I do have to say that the soundtrack is catchy and they definitely got the teen boy band obsession thing right. I've been there, new kids on the block forever. I look at the fashions and I can't help but think of the almost sci-fi air hostess costume thing that Britney wears in the toxic video combined with the bright colours of the 1980s. In fact, it sort of looks like the costumes were designed by someone who took inspiration from the opening credits to Save by the Bell. I love me some bright colours and chunky jewellery, at least in my teens. That said, 112 minutes was just a little bit too long. There are a few elements that were totally unnecessary and some of the messages were just a bit mixed such as behave badly and you'll get everything you want, be snide and sarcastic to people and they'll still make an effort to be your friends. The only one who was in any way consistent with her behaviour in this was actually Margie, who does appear in the two sequels. And she is consistently frustrated with Xenon and her behaviour. She isn't massively friendly to her, at least in the first film. And that is something that I appreciate, that consistency. So that was it for this week. Next week, totally different, but still a decom. Okay, so now we get to the mental health update. Last week was a tough one. I spent a few days bundled up in a blanket and a good day and a half crying more than I would like to admit about and at pretty much everything. And I'm not saying this again, I will stress every single time, I'm not saying this for pity. This is just a matter of fact. I suffer from mental health issues. I have depression. And these are some of the ways that my body and my brain cope with it. Last week, the episode that I recorded was a draining one. Reading through my diary and actually understanding now more than ever what it meant exhausted me to the point where I just didn't want to do anything and working was hard. My concentration suffered, my mood was incredibly low and seriously I listened to a few funny podcasts and I cried. I watched The Great British Bake Off, which I love because I I love baking, though I don't actually eat anything that I bake because I'm allergic to eggs. And I cried some more. And then I watched a series of funny hair fail clips on YouTube. And these, if anything, can normally cheer me up. It's them, especially when it's a bleach hair fail. But nope, I sobbed while watching them and eating a very disappointing Chinese takeaway. 
I'm not sure if it was disappointment that the Kung Po chicken was insipid or the fact that I just needed to cry. And no joke, this Kung Po chicken was the most disappointing I've ever had. So this week, I am just going to say that I have a day off on Tuesday to pamper myself. I'm getting new hair. Not new. I'm not getting new hair as in someone's putting new hair on my head, but I am trying to get rid of the ginger which has come back after a few washes and I'm not going to have a hair, hair fail because I'm actually going to a hairdresser. I also plan on reading a book and decompressing if I can. I wish that I'd been able to do that over the weekend but tears were my constant companion from Wednesday night and then on Sunday I was busy as I tried to get so much done because I'm not the best person when it comes to relaxing, so if I manage any at all, it's an absolute miracle. But I'm not going to say any more right now. I'm still processing a lot in my head, and to be honest, I think that if I spoke about it a bit more now, I'd be depressing everybody else, not only myself. We're very close to Halloween. Yay! (laughs) Best time of year, sort of. So next week, I am going to be doing a review of one of my favourite books of all time. One that has stuck with me since I was 11 years old, which was the first time I read it. And given the fact that it's all about witches and witchcraft and a nasty old demon, I think it's incredibly appropriate. However, this week, I'm actually not going to be talking about any book. I am incredibly conscious that the review was really, really long and I have mostly been studying books for work about sales and marketing. Yes, it's as fun as it sounds. Oh, actually, in all the excitement I have thinking about the book and the film I've already chosen for next week, they are both Halloween based but neither is actually horror. I forgot to mention that I am now accepting suggestions and recommendations for November film reviews. Head over to Facebook or Twitter or send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com and send me your DCOM wishes for November. That's Disney Channel Original Movies. Thanks to Disney Plus, I have access to almost everything that they have released from their vault since the beginning of time, in all likelihood. And that's actually it for this week. I hope you discovered a film that you might want to watch for nostalgic reasons and maybe got to know just a little bit more about how my weird brain works. I will definitely be back next week with more reviews and unusual stories. In fact, I already know what I'm going to be doing, so I feel organised. I'm pretty active over on social media, so if you want to follow me to find out what I've been up to between recordings or just want to come over and say hi, I absolutely won't bite. I'm not a vampire, I promise, and even if it is Halloween, those aren't the colours I will be showing. You can find me at need underscore three underscore mugs on Twitter and not before coffee podcast on Facebook. I post in both locations regularly about books I've been reading, episode planning. I might even give a few hints as to the films I'm planning to watch and the books I'm thinking of reading. And of course, a lot of other podcast related stuff. Well, it's getting quite late and if I want to stay up any longer, I'm going to need another cup of coffee. So I'm going to head out to the kitchen and put the kettle on. And until next time, this is me saying farewell and I will speak to you again next Tuesday.